Hello and welcome to this episode of the Star Wars Universe Podcast. And the Animation Deliberation Podcast. That's right, it's a team-up. Once again, so we're talking about The Bad Batch. This time it's Episode 5, Rampage, with J. Scotty St. Clair of the Animation Deliberation Podcast and Paul Hoppy, a.k.a. Zen Madman. All that more after commercial break, we have no control over it. Welcome back. I'm Matthew, your host. Today we're talking about kids getting battle equipment. We're talking about little baby rancors and how cute they can be. And we're talking about Carl Weathers being played by Rhea Perlman. J. Scotty Sinclair, what'd you think of this episode? You know, uh, for me, this was another solid entry into one of my favorite uh, fandoms and universes. And for my purposes, I will say I think this entry did the best job of really finding that balance between um, the mature action and themes as well as the like childlike wonder that, uh, or excuse me, yeah. wonder that comes inherent with a character like Omega. So, uh, really impressed with this episode. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm with you there. I, it's not my favorite episode. I, I still am wanting more of the kind of empire plot. But in terms of that balance, you're right. I mean, I was just laughing out loud and really enjoying a lot of moments of this in a way that I, I don't often get to do with TV. Uh, Paul, what about yourself? Well, keeping with tradition, Jay Scotty and I kind of like opposite episodes. But <laughs> um, I enjoyed it, you know, but it felt to me kind of like the most sort of kiddie-ish um, episode so far. And I, I don't necessarily mean that like in an insulting way, but it's just, you know... It, there's all this action that's based around a kind of absurd premise of like the four veteran fighters get captured because the plot, you know, goes that way because that's the story they want to tell here. And, um, you know, I, I like the show overall, but this was just my least, um, I don't know, favorite episode, I guess, so far. Hmm. I can see that. I, I did have a moment of thinking about why were they captured so easily? And, I, I wasn't sure if that was – like I feel like the giving the writers all the credit, there could be a story here of maybe the Bad Batch is pretty damn good, but they buy into their own hype a little too mm. much and they're they're becoming a little bit too arrogant, a little bit too careless because they're like, oh, we're the Bad Batch. We can do anything. Or it could be that the writers are kind of making them as powerful as the plot demands. Uh, and I'm not really sure which. I, I'm hoping it's more the first, but yeah. I can see the possibility that it's a bit the second. Yeah, uh, I think it's a little bit of a combination of the two. And as much as I did enjoy the episode, there was a moment when they when they did get captured by those Zygerian slave traders where I couldn't help but I, I had that moment where I thought, you know, this 100% uh, success rating, is that really more the stuff of legends and just what they've led, you know, led people to believe? And there's there's really been, you know, a lot more uh, trial and error than, we, than we've seen firsthand. But, uh, you know. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how how that uh, that trend continues going forward. Mm-hmm. It kind of felt to me like it it undermined that a little bit, but uh, you know, I guess to be generous, like it was a type of mission that wasn't, you know, it's not a military mission, right? Mm-hmm. It's a mission, right. but it's not a military mission, and so maybe they're a little off balance, being like, oh, or you know, are we supposed to not kill these people? These aren't droids. We've mostly been fighting droids all the time. You know, I mean, I think they could have just shot all the slavers, but like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I mean, Crosshair would be helpful for that, you know, that sort of approach. But um, I also was kind of happy the way the episode went that it, you know, it was, you know, once they got captured, it was like Omega trying to 
save them and effectively doing so, but not like, um, not in a super ridiculous way. You know, like I think if she's going to be this, you know, sort of River Tam character who's got all these powers or, I, I don't know. I mean, we'll see where they go with it, but I think, you know, you can stand to have a little bit of a, a slower developmental arc, right? And I feel like they're doing a good job with that, where she's learning kind of about, like, the world, because she hasn't been out right. in it before. But she is clearly, probably, I think, like, some sort of, has some sort of enhancements that, you know, we will gradually see over time uh, yeah. that mm-hmm. play out. I definitely loved that part of the episode, because I felt like we got to see that she does have some real skills. Among other things, she has a kind of... Not street smarts. It's almost kind of the opposite. It's sort of like she hasn't learned to be as cynical as all the rest of them have so that she could be the one to figure out, like, yeah. wait, no, that's Sid. Yeah, fresh set of eyes, the... basically, not... Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but but also in the same way, I, I thought there was a moment when it was her alone, and I, I literally kind of said to myself, oh, no, here's where she discovers she's a force powers. Right. And, <laughs> like... Maybe they can tell that story in a good way, but honestly, I'm really hoping that we get a full story of people who don't have force powers because yeah. the Mandalorian made it work, but I was even there, I was kind of suspicious of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And I felt like in part why Grogu now got written off is because they were getting to a point where it would just become about the force powers. Deus Ex Grogu. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and I, and so like, yeah, I, I just I just was really happy with the way that, with the way that turned out because she got to be important. She got to help make things happen. But she's also not like, you know, the the super powered one who can do everything they can and kind of makes them irrelevant for the plot. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I will say once they like Wrecker broke out of the chains and then they were all free and could do whatever, like he could have done that at any point, right? <laughs> it seemed <laughs> that way. The point, I think the point there was that mm-hmm. he could have done it at any point, but they could have immediately used that shock collar on him. Oh, and okay. so they needed okay. Okay. The slavers to be distracted enough right. that he could get away they with it. They need to not be watched. Okay, that fair, right. fair. He's yeah. also got that terrible headache that shot collars got to do something bad for his inhibitor chip headache. Yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Another thing I think I really liked, and I'm curious where you all are feeling, because I think this could be some, there could be some controversy here. I remember when the show started, I said that I was a little bummed there was going to be 16 episodes because I thought that might be too long and I thought there might be filler. And I realized I was seeing this through the lens of, you know, the kind of recent Disney Plus, like Marvel uh, Netflix shows of we have eight episodes, we have ten episodes to tell a single story. And every episode is going to tell that story. And we've almost gotten to the point of, like, looking down on episodic TV. This is clearly leaning back into that episodic TV idea. I mean, in many ways, it seems like it's very much following the the Mandalorian um model that we talked about a lot when we covered the Mandalorian of like, you know, that's all side quests, you know, it's like, okay, here's this person will advance your part of the plot, but to do it, you've got to do this side, side quest for an episode. Yeah. And there's an overarch, you know. Right. And, and, but the more I think about it, the more I feel like I have seen shows that really do that well. And uh, Paul, you and I have talked a lot about one. I don't know, Jay Scott, if you've seen it, Burn Notice is to me kind of the, the gold standard of that. And I, I don't think we're at that level, but I feel like we're doing a good job of balancing that uber plot, but also an adventure of the week that maybe it's actually kind of nice to have a show that isn't just every episode is packed full of the main plot. What do you, what do you all think of that? Yeah, I'm, I'm not, uh, I haven't 
seen every episode by of Burn Notice by any means, but I, I'm vaguely familiar with it. And I think uh, what you're kind of describing there is kind of like the procedural um, hybrid almost where you yeah, do get kind of that like that monster or threat of the week, but they always do a good job of like, you know, planting some seeds or including some threads of a of a bigger story. Um, as far as that goes, I, I like I said uh, in, in previous weeks, I think that this show is is actually fitting into that mold pretty nicely. Um, I guess uh, as far as if you want to levy the the monster of the week argument, I will say as much as I enjoyed this episode, this week is probably the most guilty of that. But I will reserve that judgment until we see where the show goes from here because it almost feels like a nice opportunity um, with the character of Sid and her interactions with uh, with Hunter. It kind of seems like this could be a new uh, chapter for the the Bad Batch where they could like step into this mercenary role and actually make themselves some more friends and, and make themselves some money. As much as, you know, there was that veiled threat at the end there where she says she's good with secrets and, and uh, you know, Hunter his reaction there. I didn't really know how to take it, but he does not seem very happy. So <laughs> that's where yeah, I'm at I, as, as far as that goes. Yeah. I think she definitely had an element there of I'm good with secrets as long as you keep me happy. Kind of. Thing. Yeah, for sure. Paul, what about yourself? Um, yeah, I, 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 I miss episodic television. First of all, mm-hmm. uh, I enjoy it. I enjoy being able to watch an episode and maybe there's some traces of the Uber plot. Right. But yeah. Mostly, we can just watch the episode and enjoy the episode for itself. And I like rewatchability in things. And I don't necessarily want to have to watch an entire season or series of television in order to to enjoy a story. Mm-hmm. Right? Sometimes I want to enjoy yeah. a story in 20 minutes. And like yeah. then come back and enjoy that story again in 20 minutes. And that's something I appreciate about episodic uh storytelling in general right it can be written fiction um and i think they're doing a good job so far of saying basically okay look there is a big thing going on but this isn't like there's not a quest that they're on right right and so the idea that a lot of what happens is just them living their life and kind of trying to get by it makes sense that you don't necessarily have this kind of tight structure uh, that theoretically Falcon and the Winter Soldier or something like that would have, um, which maybe before the pandemic rewrites it did. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's also like a after something big happens, kind of trying to find one's way in the world, right? But, but there's a, a specific destination here, there's not. And so I think having this kind of longer season, all those shorter episodes where something can happen and you see that whole story play out in an episode which is satisfying but then you also get this sense of what's going on uh beyond that in terms of you know there's all the stuff going on in the galaxy and then there's also like there there are people who want to capture them or her or whatever you know um so yeah i i really enjoy that aspect of it and i think they're maybe not doing quite a burn notice level job of that but uh but very well so far definitely and I'll also say, I feel like it works in particular for the prequel format, where, and I, mm. I don't know how you, you'll you feel about this, for me, one of the things that I always get nervous about with prequels, and I think that Star Wars in, picture, in particular has often missed the mark on, is in a, you're you're trying to tell me how things got to the point that I've already seen. 
as well as you've probably already dropped a bunch of hints about how they got there. Yeah. Which has allowed me to kind of paint my own picture. And I'm fine if you show me that the picture I painted was wrong, but you have to do it in a way that makes me doesn't feel like everything you told me and the thing coming up was wrong. You know, it, it has to make sense to yeah, me with yeah. what I already know about the universe. Mm-hmm. And I think that to me, what what they're doing of being episodic, but also about this group of people who in the kind of rogue one way, Mandalorian way are very much like below the screen. You know, they're, they're not the main story. No one's going to talk about the Bad Batch probably in a history of the years after Order 66 unless it's like as a footnote or maybe something's going to be done later. Mm -hmm. And so I find that kind of episodic. It's really like letting us see a day in the life of life under the Empire, which I, I find I'm really enjoying because it is telling me more about the Empire. You know, the little bits we get about the slavers, the little bits we're getting about what these worlds are happening. But without making me feel like, wait a minute, no, that doesn't fit my understanding of how we got there because we're not just telling this epic story about Tarkin and and that kind of thing. Does does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, we're not engaging with the things that you've already had a lot of thoughts about how they look. Right. And and so this this is a side story and it makes sense if it's kind of set up. You know, built out of side quests in a way. Yeah. And and also when you know the direction something's going to end up, it I feel like it's much more about the journey then than, you know, about, oh, what's going to happen? Although here again, it's like we don't know what happens to the Bad Batch. Maybe they end up being part of the Rebellion. Maybe they're all dead at the end of season one. We don't know. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, I think it's a, a fair assessment and I think it's the right approach as well. Because as much as we are, you know, getting more clarity into this time period that has very much uh, not been explored for a lot of fans, it it gives that 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 answer to those fans that want it and those that are invested into this animated series. But at the same uh-huh. time, it gives them the freedom if they want to, you know, tackle that in a future film um, it, or in whatever capacity they want to, you know, with all the other live action series coming out there. They're not really boxing themselves in in any way by focusing on on lesser characters like this and in the same way that the the mandalorian does so it's a great comparison yeah. there i also am really liking the sid character i mean i love the sid character in general uh it, it's not listed in the episode but uh wikipedia confirms that uh ria perlman of cheers fame as well as a number of other things uh okay. played that uh, was the voice actor for that character and she's fantastic and i felt like a i kind of loved that they're basically having her play the same role that uh carl weathers played in um mandalorian mm-hmm. but oh, also okay. that my my hope is that she's actually going to become even more like very quickly he gets written out of being like the regular contact i would kind of love it if she gets that kind of the quest giver role in this you mm-hmm. know where like a couple times over the season they go back to her and they're like okay we need one more thing and she's like cool we need to you know do one more thing for me until eventually like we get to her sudden inevitable betrayal sure 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 eventually (laughs) sells them out because like more money or something right and correct me if if i'm wrong she's a trandoshan and that that species has typically been portrayed as a duplicitous like uh, i want to say bosk from the bounty hunter scene is seen as probably the most famous of the trandoshans right although it is kind of i mean uh, one thing they've often established here is show that like you know just because 
you know, Greedo was of the, of this particular race, but like other people of his race can be, you know, very different and stuff like that. So oh, of course. It, it could be she is very trustworthy of them. But you're right, I think that's also another fun connection. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, and maybe maybe that's to set up that feeling with us and then um not match that expectation, you know. Yeah. I think a lot of times when, you know, when writing a story, if you can give people particular expectations and then um, sort of subvert those. I, I think you can have some effective, you know, plot turns, like a, a non-twist twist, basically. Yeah, yeah. I think it's definitely true. It's mm-hmm. interesting uh, when you said Rhea Perlman playing Carl Weathers. I thought you literally meant Rhea Perlman was playing a character played by Carl Weathers previously, and I was like, oh, I've oh, never no. seen this character. <laughs> um, but in the, I mean, I listened to this episode in Spanish, and I, I think the. I think Sid was played by a dude. I mean, I can't tell totally, you know, um, I'd go back and listen, but, but so I, I, I was like, oh, so they recast Carl Weathers one way in one language and another way in English, but oh, apparently it's not I... Carl Weathers. So, <laughs> Yeah. And I think the implication part of it was supposed to be that Sid was not male and that that's part of why the Bad Batch didn't even think that this person could be male. That, that, oh, that was okay. kind of part of it. Omega picked up on right, right. Yeah, to to compare it to another popular like animated franchise in The Incredibles, there's that character, um, or no, not not The Incredibles. Excuse me, it's Monsters Inc. There's that uh, that character of Roz. It's like you know Mike Wazowski. It's kind of that like elderly cantankerous, mm-hmm. um, right woman that's kind of like fed up with the world, but yeah, um, is also very world wise at the same time. Right, has been smoking for forty years and yeah. all of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. Which is yeah. very smoking much the Rhea Perlman kind of character. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one other just small little note that I thought was cool, uh, and I there's some Star Wars fans who probably picked up on this immediately because you know everything, and I'm in awe of you. Uh, and I think Brian V. Klein, our, our freaking guest, would, would have been one of those. But they briefly they mentioned that the plant they're going to is Ord Mantell. Um, right. Yeah. Last night, I was trying to kill some time while I was like folding laundry, and I decided to turn on the first part of Empire, Empire Strikes, Strikes Back, yeah. during which Han Solo mentions that uh, he, he the reason why he thinks he has to leave the rebellion and go back and deal with Jabba is because they ran into a bo- bounty hunter on Ord Mantel. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, and apparently, in a lot of the video games and other kind of smaller but still canon things, Ord Mantel is dealt with a lot more. And I, I did the research. We found out like that that. The, they had had a presence there, but then, like, the Empire got suspicious, and so that kind of moved them off and things like that. Uh, so that was just a fun little Easter egg that, you know, right. again, if you don't know it, doesn't change your enjoyment at all, but just kind of a fun connection there. Definitely. It's one of those planets that, uh, as a casual fan, I, I definitely recognize Ord Mantell, but I, I don't mm-hmm. have that kind of connection. Um, visually, I will say it, it's it's nice that you bring that up and that connection to to Han with Empire because I did make a note that uh, once they got into the city and the slums and the kind of like, you know, uh, derelict uh, atmosphere there, I, def- I definitely uh, got Corellia from um, Solo, uh, Star Wars story vibes a little bit. It wasn't as rainy, obviously. but Oh, I can see that. Yeah, very, very much run down in the same kind of way. Cool. Yeah, I, 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 I totally missed that. So I'm really glad you picked up on that. Mm-hmm. And that's just maybe a good segue. I know one of the things I always want to do in these episodes is give you and, and uh, Paul as well a few thoughts, but especially you, Jay Scotty. What did you think of the animation here? What, what what were we kind of learning visually that probably someone like myself may have totally missed? Uh, I will say it continues to be top-notch. I think some of the things that stood out to me for this episode in particular is uh, given the setting of Ord Mantell and once we got out of the city and we're really in you know the, the canyon kind of environment, 
the lighting really, really struck me. Um, really well done as, as far as like when they're in the, the ship and have like the, the open, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The bridge basically allowing all this light to come in. They do an excellent job of allowing the, the correct temperatures to bounce off the faces. Outside of that, the textures really stood out to me. Um, if it's, you know, the rocks and a natural environment, they do a really good job of differentiating that from the man-made and metallic structures. And just even with all the characters, again, like I've talked about the um, painter brush, brush strokes in the faces, but even on the armor, there are all these, like you can tell they're like hand-drawn, like little nicks and scratches and brush marks in, in, in every texture. So I just continue to be very impressed, you know, um, from the dust settling when the, the ships kick off or the, the speeders or even the uh, organic creatures like the, the Rancor and the, was it the, the I want to say the Brazak flying creature there? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just all really well done. And I, I thought the simple fact, oh, sorry, go ahead, Paul. Oh, I was going to say, um, I thought it was pretty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I always appreciate the the landscaping, and that's like one of my favorite things about the Clone Wars show. But I think the animation has definitely evolved and stepped up over time. But the the sense of places, you know, and and the city with all the neon, and it reminds me of home. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I agree. I'm not the most visually attuned person. That's why I'm so glad that we're doing this in partnership with uh, you and, and Zuhair from Animation Podcast. The one thing that I noted was, and I guess, I mean, it, it, we're now at the point where, especially with animation, you can make a baby anything cute. But yeah. the fact that they could make the Rancor, <sighs> which was, you know, like the thing that I, I saw when I was seven years old and it was terrifying. And I still have a little bit of that feeling when I see it, you know, even though I know that like, now I watch it. I'm like, oh, this animation is so bad. Uh, oh, you know, yeah, in the, yeah, like, yeah. The, 1984. The yeah. Or not, yeah, whatever. The, it's not animation. Whatever they're but the doing. effects here. Yeah. Um, Stop motion animation, I think it is. Yeah. But the fact that you could make that creature be so cute and adorable because it's a child, but also make it like they didn't have to say it. I was like, oh, look, that's a baby Rancor. Um, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I was just very impressed with animation there. Yeah, yeah, it was super well done, and uh, it it did make me think for a second. Um, it was it was Mucci, I want to say. Yeah, Mucci, mm-hmm. right? Mucci. Yeah. So, uh, what does thirty years in Jabba's palace do to to anyone? Because we already saw, you know, Bib Fortuna at the end of uh, or spoiler warning here for the for the Mandalorian. But uh, oh yeah, <laughs> it just made me made me wonder. He does not age well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, because I, I think it was supposed to be fully intended that this was the rancor that we saw in Return of the Jedi. Correct? Yes. Yeah, definitely and the I, implication. Yeah. On the one hand, it's kind of a nice Easter egg, and like I I did really love that. Like clearly, even they seem to like treat the creature with affection, and that it was of the like not we need this slave for our pits, but like hey, this has got cool creature. But I. I didn't want to know the name of the creature that Luke kills later. Like, I'm going to watch That's you know, the saddest Return part of the Jedi. Of the Jedi. Well, <laughs> after the Ewok, the, the downed Ewok. Yeah, and like, I mean, there's that beautiful little moment where like the keeper of the... who I, I was yeah. sorry we didn't get to see him. Yeah, yeah. The, the person who clearly like was the keeper of the Rancor. Like, he looks so sad. Um, but like, I didn't want to know his name. <laughs> but, right. I, so I, I was kind of hoping he escaped, but I did love getting to see like that... Hey, even that creature that you think is so scary from Return of the Jedi, that it can be kind of lovable and that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's 
I feel like there's, I, I have a whole episode of stuff to say about this, which I won't, yeah. but just it's like, yeah, they really love this young Rancor, and then they put it in a fight and have it eat people that they don't like, like, yeah. in a pit, in a pit, you know, like, in a, it lives in this little dungeon chained up, um, and like, you know, uh, it just says so much about how people think about animals, but, yeah. um, it, you know, at towards the end of the episode, I'm like, oh, that's the rancor that Lou killed. Now I said rancor. We were talking before the thing about <laughs> rancor. rancor. Yeah, the, the rancor. Um, and then Bib Fortuna watched, and I'm like, oh, that's the Bib Fortuna that Boba Fett killed. <laughs> <laughs> like, this, yeah, yeah. this show is going to have a lot of characters that we've seen get whacked, you know? <laughs> it really is. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that's so true. And I did that. I mean, Paul... I'm glad you're talking about it because we'll probably do a whole episode on it at some point. But I know obviously, you know, the way animals are treated is a very big deal for you. And I think for me as well, but I know especially for you. And that was something we talked about in The Mandalorian that especially you were often pretty unhappy with. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how you saw it in this one because I, I felt like there was a couple of steps where they could have done something that would have been pretty terrible and chose not to. Like the fact that the Rancor and the the – was it the Bretzel? Not the Bretzel. <laughs> Brez- um, Brezak. Brezak, thank you. Um, that they uh, Look, just for people who uh, don't understand how bad I am with names, we'll soon be putting out an episode of the Superhero Ethics Podcast where I refer to Stan Sebastian a couple times. So I'm just bad with names across <laughs> hey, the board. Hey, I did that one myself in the Mandalorian <laughs> podcast. <laughs> nice. But yeah, so I feel like there's a couple moments where like the fact that those two creatures fight and both of them live. Like, they don't have yeah. – one of them doesn't have to kill the other. Or honestly, the scene where, like – I was worried about what it would be like when the Bad Batch had to capture Mochi. Right. Mochi. And mm-hmm. the fact that Wrecker had this, like, kind of adorable fight with him. You know, that was, right. like, these two big brutes hitting each other until they both collapse, kind of cuddling. Like – I don't know. I found that really adorable in a way that it could have been pretty awful. What do you think of, of those scenes? Yeah. So, um that scene, I, I've actually been reading a lot of, like, martial arts stories recently, and it reminded me of, you know, my time as a martial artist, like, just beating the crap out of my friends and having them beat the crap out of me. And, like, at the end, you just, like, shake hands, hug, and, like, go have a beer. I mean, I don't drink beer, but, you know. Right. That's the, you know, that that sort of feel of, like... Yeah, you know, we're battling for, like, this sort of pride, supremacy, whatever kind of thing. But at the end of the day, it's like, all right, we're good, you know? Yeah. Um, and that was very different from way, other ways that, you know, that scene or other parts of this show could have gone. And so overall, yeah, like, I'm not crazy about, like, all the big animal fights in general in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But they did take a turn away from where they usually go, where they usually just, like, kill them off. And... um you know, so I thought it subverted expectations in a in a pleasant way with regards to the rancor and the bretzel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I did kind of hope uh, that they were going to realize that Jabba's people were not going to treat it right. And then Wrecker was going to insist on them, like, taking it and getting away. Right, right. I just, I, just, I wanted Wrecker to have a buddy. I wanted know? to see them, <laughs> like, hang out with the, with Moochie in the, in the ship. <laughs> like, how did, how did they get back, you know? <laughs> Well, we like saw Omega problem. riding mm, that's right. briefly when they came back into you're town. You're right, you're right. No, good yeah. point. That's yeah. true. Uh, uh, and speaking uh, of... Oh, go ahead. Just go I was just going to say for my purposes, as far as the, the Moochie versus the Brezak fight, that was more effective and more believable for me than the, the resolution with uh, Moochie and Wrecker. Mm. Uh, 
you know, just coming off of Godzilla versus Kong, I couldn't help but like wonder <laughs> how it was going to shake out. And I probably don't have the same sensitivities to, um, you know, animal violence as as you do, obviously. But I still don't like to see it. And I, yeah, I did find myself having pause and wondering how it was going to shake out. And it just it really was believable and well choreographed and well done when the creature gets slammed down on its soft, you know, underbelly by mm-hmm. by these rocks which it's obviously not used to having happen it's like okay that's that's enough for me i'm out of here that made sense yeah. to me and I, I bought it so. oh yeah 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 i like I, I didn't even notice that particular detail but that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. so one other thing i wanted to talk about was a character of omega um who i there's a lot to talk about her character but i referenced last time that paul i know you've been doing a deep dive on the sort of linguistics and the pronunciation of her name and uh, at some point, we're going to do a whole episode on superhero ethics about language and linguistics and pronunciation and how that's handled in these stories. Um, from what I can tell, you probably have about 10 hours to, to uh, <laughs> of material to talk about. I'm going to ask you to give a quick summary of like the pronunciation of her name and what we should know about it and how we should be saying it. I'm going to ask you to do it in two minutes, which means I'm setting a three-minute timer. So, yeah. so <laughs> the, the thing is there's this thing that I wanted to say that leads into this. So I'm going to say that first. And that's not part of the two minutes, okay? Okay, I'll, I'll start the two-minute timer after that, which again, okay. three-minute timer. Which is three-minute timer, yeah, but we'll pretend yeah. it's two. Okay. <sighs> so, <laughs> I actually listened to episode four in English because, yay, Ming-Na Wen. Um, and, you know, so I can confirm that the voice acting is phenomenal. Uh, it's been great in all the languages I've listened to, but particularly oh, hats awesome off too. to D. Bradley Baker. Mm-hmm. Um, though this brings us to a point that I want to make, which could be an entire episode of superhero ethics, but I just kind of want to name them, particularly with this being like the last episode airing in Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, mm. which, you know, D. Bradley Baker, as far as I can tell, as far as I'm aware, is like an American white dude. And mm. I don't know his entire family history or how he sees his own racial identity, but as far as I can tell, he's not you know, Maori or or Kiwi, right? And so with all the recent pushback on things like Hank Azaria playing Apu on The Simpsons and Alison Brie playing Diane Wynn in BoJack Horseman, I think it's kind of interesting that there's not really any discussion that I can see about D. Bradley Baker playing a literal entire army of people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some thoughts on this, and I, I don't think it's the same as everything else. Um, but I was kind of curious if either of you had any... Like, had even, like, if it kind of pops up at all. Uh, to be completely honest, it's not something that uh, I have a ton of sensitivity to. I'm always, you know, open to more inclusivity and, and diversity and, and casting people in the correct way. Uh, but I, I'm really glad that you bring it up. I, I think it's an interesting discussion to have. I would just say in terms of Star Wars, it's it's one of those situations where there are a lot of you know legacy roles and legacy characters even like yeah. taking the race outside of it and just like looking at the alien species and whatnot like obviously frank oz uh voiced yoda for, for many years but then um tom kane stepped into the role and has has been yoda for many years on the animated side of things and uh who's uh forgive me i can't remember the name of the guy that does uh the voice of obi-wan for the the animated side of things but he's a prolific voice actor as well Mm -hmm. so i I look at it a little bit more in that regard i think d bradley baker's kind of earned his spot there but uh it's it's definitely an interesting conversation to have and i would be interested to hear d bradley's thoughts Mm -hmm. if that if that's ever anything that he's open to you know discussing 
Yeah, I, I think it's a really good point. I think it's definitely worth exploring further. And I'll say, during the Clone Wars um, episodes that we did on the same podcast, we often got into, especially um, one of our co-hosts there, Riki Hayashi, he, uh, one of my co-hosts there, Riki Hayashi, we often got into the topic, and he would often be the one to bring it up, about who was voicing these actors. Especially because, um, and I think they're getting better, but Star Wars has a long history of having characters that are very racially coded, particularly by their voices, uh, and often in incredibly racist ways. Uh, and the, the the prequels, I think, were very bad yeah, about that. The, and the, the, mm-hmm. Yeah, and the Clone Wars were, you know, carried it on in, in many ways. And so on the one hand, I want to say that I'm surprised. I, I didn't realize that. I, I had thought that he was at least Kiwi, if not Maori. Saying that, it's entirely possible that Riki is right now listening and writing a very angry email because he actually said that and I've just forgotten, <laughs> which is doubly dead for me on a number of levels. So if that's the case, I'm, I'm very sorry because I, I should be paying more attention to details like that. I think for me, and this is why I want to do a full episode on this, Paul, and I think actually bringing Riki on if he was interested would be a, a really good thing as well or bringing someone else on. Um, because I feel like for me, there is a difference between bringing in someone to do the accent of a culture or a, or a particular background who isn't of that background versus in this, because in this case, it's not that they're trying to get a New Zealand accent or a Maori accent. It's that they're trying to get a duplication of one very particular person's voice. And that person is Maori. Right. And even saying that, I don't know if that makes a difference. Like Mm -hmm. maybe even then, if you're trying to copy it, it should be. And I feel like, that's kind of a, a much larger issue than, than I think we can get into right now. But yeah. I, do, I do think I'm glad you brought it up. And I think I'm I'm kind of embarrassed that I always assumed that he was at least Kiwi, if not uh, – and just for anyone who doesn't know those terms, Kiwi refers to a person from New Zealand. The Maori are the indigenous people of New Zealand. Um, and uh, the original actor who played Django Fett uh, was Maori himself. Yeah, Tamara Morrison. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> in in um, use. <laughs> Yes, yeah. awesome. Thank you both. His name uh, so, is so I think that's kind of where I stand with it. But I, but definitely I'm glad you brought it up because I think it's a very important point. Yeah. So I I echo a lot of those thoughts. I mean, it's something that I didn't think really about till recently. I'm not going to go too deep into it, but you know, Star Wars race doesn't exist the same way in Star Wars. These characters definitely don't have earthly nationalities. Um, uh-huh. I think also it's not an accent that's played for laughs. I feel like that matters. Right. Um, you for know. Sure. As, as you said, Matthew, it's an accent of a particular person, right? He's doing a Tamuera Morrison in, you know, Attack of the Clones impersonation, basically, right? right. And then doing different takes on that. Um, there is probably an aspect of, like, it's since 2005, so it's kind of grandfathered in in a way, although that doesn't mean that, you know, we can't reexamine things. Um, of course. But this brings me to, to the point that I wanted it to bring me to. Um, which is, I feel like as a show, they're making an effort to have broader representation outside of that one person who plays most of the cast. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that matters, you know? And I mean, people can have whatever thoughts and feelings they want about it. And I'm certainly not commenting on that. And, um, I'd love to hear feedback on, on, you know, on the, the issue. Um, not that it's necessarily an issue, but just kind of, you know, the thing. (laughs) Um, but that Omega is played by Michelle Ang. Who, as I understand it from, uh, you know, Wikipedia stalking her, um, (laughs) is a Chinese Indonesian New Zealander. I believe she was Mm. born in New Zealand. I think her parents were born in Indonesia. And I think either her grandparents or somewhere further back were born in China. So, you know, she brings, first of all, like, I believe a, a native New Zealand accent to the character of Omega. 
or Omega right. or Omega. Right. Um, uh, just to clarify, by that you mean native as in having been born in New Zealand, not Maori as in the natives of New Zealand. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Very, thank you for the clarification. Um, yeah. So she's not Maori. So I and I don't know how much of Tamora Morrison's accent is particularly Maori or or not. Right. Um, right. But the point being that they are two people who have perhaps somewhat different accents from one another. And then you have Dee Bradley Baker playing Tamora Morrison's kind of like descendants. I don't know. I guess clones, literally, literally clones (laughs) Um, (laughs) with various different accents in the Bad Batch, because I think he kind of tweaks the accent in order to make the character sound a little more different from one another. Um, But so I was listening to some like New Zealand accent stuff on the interwebs on YouTube and one word stuck out to me, the word pleasant, which sounds like pleasant in the particular, you know, example of New Zealand accent that I heard. And so, you know, pleasant is like omega. So if it's right. pleasant, then it would be omega. Um, mm. To my ear, I listened, I listened to it like too many times um, to, <laughs> to the, to actually the English version of Michelle um, Ang saying it. And it sounded like, there's like a diphthong where like omega is omega, right? Like if you break it mm-hmm. up, but where mm-hmm. she says it, it's like more omega, where like it changes vowel sounds earlier in it. It might be a flatter, just straight kind of E sound. Um, but yeah, I think it sounds a little different because the accents are different. And right. in other language... Um, uh, voices, basically, it's always like omega. Uh, from what I've heard, or like right. Omega, or, you know, um, so I don't feel like that's a plot point. I feel like mm-hmm. that's, you have one person with a New Zealand accent saying it a particular way, and then you have someone else who's imitating possibly a different New Zealand accent saying it, a, you know, multiple different ways. Right. Hmm. Or, the, or another different way. That was, uh, that was under 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that. And I think it, it, it gives a lot more context and depth to language. And I think, as you said, it's a topic we can go into a lot more depth on, and we definitely will. But I think it, it kind of helps. And, and just so, I, so after all that deep diving, how do you pronounce uh, her name, Paul? I pronounce it Omega, you know. Okay. Um, but I guess I said Omega earlier, which is not quite the same. I, right. Like, I have a, you know, if I have a British friend named John, I'm not going to, like, call him, like, John. You know, like, or like, I wouldn't call Harry Potter, like Harry Potter, which I guess isn't the way he says it. But like when somebody says a name with a little bit different accent, I'm not generally trying to copy their accent to say their name exactly the way they say it. Right. But if they ask me to, I certainly will. Um, And often if, you know, if I meet someone and, you know, I'll be like, oh, how do you pronounce your name? You know, and sometimes is it this way? Is it that way? And... I think that can be a tricky thing to do without kind of othering someone. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, like, I don't know, people ask me that and I appreciate what, appreciate it when, when they ask me that, but there's not, you know, there's, there's a layer of potential like otherization that isn't there when they're asking how to say my name, maybe, you know, Um, but it's a whole issue. And I think, I think it would make a great episode of superhero ethics And so here I say Omega, but like Omega definitely isn't wrong. That's how she says her yeah. name, you know. 
Right. And I think I think that's a really good point, especially because and this is something we brought up to me, kind of the other interesting side of it is like you're right. On the one hand, there's the idea of like just different people are gonna say it with a different accent, and sometimes you might be like someone would have to kind of sound ridiculous to to, to say my name the way I say it. But on the other hand, there's also that aspect of like, you know, we've seen so many stories from people, uh, especially of like non-Anglo backgrounds talking about how they hate, you know, when someone pronounces their name incorrectly because mm-hmm. of their accent or whatever. And then they often won't ask, you know. And so right. I, I, I am so curious if we will get that moment at some point of Omega saying like, no, that's not that's not my name. But mm. you're right. It may well be just like I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. yeah. I, I think there's almost no chance we're going to get that because in all the other languages – that scene would make no sense because they're all saying it the same. Oh, okay. Right. I, I think that's, that's, that's like that's the intel really I'm bringing there. to the table, basically. Yeah, and yeah. I, I'd miss that. That I think is yeah. a key point. Uh, I, I, I do. Need, I have a hard out yeah. in about five minutes, yep, so I want too. to kind of start wrapping up. Wrapping okay. this up. Hard out. Um, but Jay Scotty, go ahead. What, what was the point? I was, you I was just going to say I would never challenge anybody that says Omega, but uh, I do think that the reason she's named Omega mm. is is because of the definition of the word Omega, meaning you know final or the last and i I do believe that she's the last clone but that's yeah in speculation and an entirely different conversation the the definition of the greek word or yeah i mean to me me, though that's also kind of the the uh star trek data moment because like um you know that now i can't remember which one in star trek the character's name is data Mm -hmm. and someone else calls him data which which is another way to pronounce that same word it's like no but but my name is this pronunciation Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It'll be curious to see how that plays out. But I think you're right. It was insane in other languages. So, but it, w- the whole point of it was to I I want to get that information out there. It's great we have it. But now, what'd you all think of how the character was played out in this episode? I think it's good that they finally gave her some gear. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. like you know, you can say, oh well, you shouldn't have a kid in a situation where they're going to need this stuff. But like, you have a kid in a situation where they're going to need this stuff. Get her the stuff. Good. Okay. Cool. Yeah. That's definitely how I saw it playing out. Yeah, I just continue to enjoy to see uh, her continue to become more and more competent as much as, you know, a certain level of naivety, excuse me, naivete is uh, a very much part of who she is. Uh, she continues to, you know, show how much of a valuable member of the team is. And, and even Sid called her out and she got the high five from Wrecker. She's the brains of the operation. So, yeah, uh, I continue to just become more endeared to Omega. Yeah, I'm. I'm just loving where her character is going. Like we said, I love that it's not that a flip, a uh, flip is switch, a switch is flipped, and now she's just the most powerful person anyone's ever seen. I not, not that I mean, if the story is about her being the super uber clone, that'd be a perfectly legitimate story. I don't think that's the story they're telling here, and so I'm glad that they're doing it in this kind of slow, gradual way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, last more we could say about this, we're just gonna have to hold it for our next episode, but we've already gone pretty long. Um, but Jay Scotty, as I mentioned, you are one of the co-hosts of the Animation Deliberation podcast. Uh, you know, we can't – it seems like every day someone's posting in our panda group about, hey, here's another new animation show you all should cover. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Tell people about how they can find your podcast and all the great stuff you're covering. Yes, sir. Or, excuse me. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, you know, you can call Animation Deliberation, okay. wherever you can find your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, all those places – Apple podcast and we did just have our five-star review contest uh, come to a close so congratulations to KL Bucks thanks to everybody that submitted us uh, five-star reviews but continue to do that we're still a new show and those are immensely helpful in our growth Uh, we're covering MODOK right now so we had uh, our first solo live episode that we did 
uh, last Friday, right after the live episode we did here. And that was a lot of fun, but we'll do two more episodes covering uh, that series. That's a lot of fun. And as you mentioned, there's, there's no lack of good content uh, just around the corner. Masters of the Universe comes to mind. It seems like there's a lot of interest there. So uh, Animation Deliberation Podcast at Gmail is the place to send feedback. And then, of course, you can always interact with us in the uh, Stranded Panda chat. Super grateful to be a part of that network and participate in shows just like this with you guys. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm As I've mentioned, we just did an episode on superhero ethics with your partner, Zuhair, all about um, the ethics of The Incredible. No, not The Incredibles. Uh, the Ethics of Invincible, the show that mm-hmm. I would not have heard of unless for your great podcast coverage. So definitely check out all the stuff he's doing. Uh, Paul, as we mentioned, a.k.a. Zen Madman, he does a lot of great stuff under that name. He's starting to uh, do videos about poker. I'm actually starting to do videos on poker under the Ooh. name The Ethical Panda. So if you go to twitch.com, you should definitely be subscribed to Stranded Panda TV. So much good stuff's going on there. But also drop uh, not a follow, uh, drop a follow. follow as well to Zen Madman and to myself, The Ethical Panda. Uh, Paul's doing just some great stuff just talking about poker. I'm doing stuff talking about poker, and I'm not as good a poker player by any means. I'm trying to learn. But I also, like, last time I did a whole rant about J.J. Abrams saying that, oh, maybe there should have been a plan. You think? Uh, <laughs> you so think? On, 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 my, on my Twitch stream, I'll be doing stuff that's, you know, more just kind of casually chatting while I talk poker. But if you want to talk poker, that's great. If you want to talk ethics, superhero stuff, Star Wars, it'll be there. I haven't set a regular schedule yet, but that'll be coming soon. Um, so definitely please check all that out. You can find all my stuff under The Ethical Panda. And again, if you want feedback for this episode, we'd love to hear it about any of the stuff we got into. Uh, you can find us on Facebook or on Twitter by searching for The Ethical Panda. You can email us at theethicalpanda at gmail.com or just go to theethicalpanda.com. Check all that out. Check out all the great podcasts under strandedpanda.com. And most importantly, have a great day. Stay tuned. That's T-O-O-N-E-D. <laughs> well played.